Love Talk Radio. Good evening. Climbing the Ivy podcast here at cubbiescrib.com. Uh, I'll be joined momentarily by Alex Pat, my co-host. I believe we're having some technical difficulties here ahead of the show. So hopefully we get that sorted out. Good evening, everybody. Jake Meisner here with you for another episode of the Climbing the Ivy podcast. Uh, for any of you who were with us when we first started the show, I apologize. For whatever reason, we were having some technical difficulties. Um, not quite sure what happened there. It is a new experience for us on this show, but I believe that we are good to go now, and I am fairly certain that Alex, my co-host, is with us. Alex, you there? Yes, I am. Sweet. We'll just move forward and pretend that the last three minutes and 41 seconds never happened because I have no idea what just happened. Neither do I. So we'll, we'll just go ahead and move on and I guess move forward from there. Um, spring training, finally rolling, full squad workouts this week. First Cactus League action, Friday for the Cubs. Very exciting. Uh, meanwhile, the Cardinals and Brewers, in my mind at least, are still yet to make that one last move they need to be legitimate contenders. So I'm feeling really good right now. Um, yeah, so Brewers are actually the Cubs' first uh, spring training matchup, a split squad game uh, Friday. They will play um, on the road. The Cubs are home for the first time on Saturday at Sloan Park. Uh, Friday, left-hander Michael Roth will start against Milwaukee. Eddie Butler takes the ball Saturday, and Jen Hosang on Sunday. Uh, pretty normal. Most of the big-name guys don't really start taking the ball until right around March 1st. Um, but I don't know about you, Alex. I'm pretty excited just to have any kind of baseball back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I love some good spring training games. I know a lot of people laugh at me for that, but, hey, Sometimes I'm actually quite entertained with the number 87s going out there, and you're like, who the heck is that guy? I, I don't know. I, I think it's fun, even though I think it is more fun when you get to see the starters go more than one or two innings because early on you get the guys going maybe, maybe two innings, maybe three, but you don't see very often, and mostly you see a bunch of scrubs. But I don't know. Sometimes I find that entertaining. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you get the Charcer Burks of the world showing up, um, you know, make, trying to make a name for themselves when you know long-term it's just not going to work. Um, but it, it's great to see those guys out there fighting and battling. And obviously for fans, it is a sign that baseball is back. Uh, before we get too far into the show, I just have to take a second and give my wife credit for watching our fur child. We got a puppy about three and a half weeks ago, I can hear her thundering around upstairs, whining and crying that I'm downstairs talking to you, 
talking to all of our listeners. So kudos to my wife for putting up with this every Wednesday at 9 p.m. I do not envy you for the next 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, it's a good it, shout it, out to give. Yeah, I can just, I can, especially because, so my birthday is in the first week of May and today Cubs related. Oh, mine. She got me. Yeah, perfect. So she got me tickets for the May 7th game um, in the bullpen box area. Kind of, if you were to throw a ball from third to first and it went into the stands, second row right there. Uh, down the first baseline, so pretty stoked for that. The Cubs play Miami, so it should be a nice, uh, nice bloodbath. Um, so not only that, but then she takes care of the puppy while we sit here and uh, and talk about baseball for forty-five minutes. So pretty, pretty thankful for that right now. Um, yeah, and I guess we can, I guess we can kind of start. We ran a poll on the Cubby's Crib Twitter page earlier today. We let you guys choose what we were going to talk about tonight. I gave you four choices. You Darvish. I feel like we've talked about you Darvish for all seven of these episodes. Yeah. Wilson Contreras and mound visits. That was a huge topic this week. Uh, I wrote a piece earlier today, Chris Bryant head to head against Nolan Arenado. Some surprising conclusions were drawn in that article. If you haven't read it, I definitely suggest you do guiltily self plugging that. Uh, but the, Blow away winner with 42% of the vote is Rob Manfred ruining baseball. So we will go ahead and lead off with that. Shout out to the knob, Adam McGinnis himself, who definitely spearheaded that campaign, Alex. Um, I will let you kick it off um, with our first topic of the night, Rob Manfred ruining baseball. Yeah, I'm kind of glad we're talking about this because this has been a big topic of conversation, not only with the Cubs, but all around baseball. And yes, uh, his great knobness, Adam, did want us to talk about this. So this is the shout out to you. The knob is calling Manfred a knob. So I find that funny. But yeah, I mean, we're getting all these new rule proposals, and basically what a lot of it is doing is basically restricting baseball to a time clock. And we all know that baseball is unique because there is no clock in baseball. Every other sport there is, not in baseball. Obviously, you have a certain amount of time between innings. I get that. And you know what? Him wanting to shorten the time between innings, I'm all for that. Believe me, all for it. But when you get into some of the propositions like putting runners at second and extra innings, uh, using your order like the top or your best hitters, whatever, whenever you want an extra innings, I, I don't really like that. I think that's messing with the game too much. Also, I'm not a huge fan of the limiting the, the mound visits because, A, you're trying to strategize here, and I feel like limiting that is really going to negatively impact players. B, you're going to have disputes over how many you have, and there's going to be arguments between umpires and players, and that's going to escalate even to more time wasted and more ejections. And C, like going back to kind of B a little bit, don't you think it's going to be a little hard to keep track of that stuff? I mean, what are they going to do? Are are the umpires going to have like a punch card? Are they just going to have to keep track? Is it going to be on the screen? I don't know how they're going to keep track of that. And that they could also say, hey, you can have an extra visit. I mean, won't that cause problems? It's like, hey, you gave that team an extra visit yesterday. Why won't you give it to us today? 
that just sounds like a whole, whole, whole hodgepodge of problems. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you touched on a lot of good points there. I guess I'll start with your last one. And I, I think that my biggest issue with that is I worry about the type of relationship between players and umpires that you see between players and referees in the NBA today. I mean, it's just ghastly. It, there's no respect from either side for either side. I mean, they, they just they embarrass themselves and each other on a near nightly nightly basis. You turn on SportsCenter any morning, you're going to see an NBA player in an official's face or an official in an NBA player's face. And it, it's just not good. It's not going to help anything. Baseball is so tense right now with how free agency has gone this year. I mean, it's just it's adding fuel to a fire. I, I don't think that, that – I just don't – I understand that, that Major League Baseball has poured God only knows how much money into research supporting this claim that the, the, the fans want a faster, more compact, or more condensed game. I just – I don't see it. And it's probably because we are among – the diehard baseball fans and they're trying to attract people on the fringe. But I, I just, I don't know. I worry that they're going to alienate fans in, in our demographic, you know, fans that love three and a half hour, one, nothing pitchers duels. Like I feel like you're going to alienate lifelong fans by trying to turn this into like a shot clock scenario. Right. Exactly. I think that there's going to be a lot of tension with the players and some of the fans too, because they're going to keep track mentally, like kind of the point where I was saying like, Oh, this umpire likes to give extra ones to this team and not that team. You know, you're going to have fans who are going to try to keep track of that kind of thing. And that's just going to cause more problems there. So I, I don't know. I just, I see a lot of negative coming from this. And I mean, for all we know, it may not be as bad as some may think it will be, but there's so many possibilities of problems. I just don't think that a lot of people are on board with it. Yeah, I, I, that, that's kind of what I've gotten too. I just I don't feel like there's personally in the fans that I've talked to and, and the, the people I talk to, I've never, ever heard them say, I want a faster game. I just, I've never heard that. And, and this seems like this, I mean, Rob Manfred is is hinging his his legacy as commissioner on this, on the pace of play issue, and I think it's going to blow up in his face before it's all said and done. I just I don't see this going well. I don't see veteran guys like John Lester rolling over and just taking these rule changes, and then on the same token, you have guys like, you know, you have guys like Wilson Contreras, Lester's personal catcher. Uh, and, you know, one of the key pieces for the Cubs, basically <laughs> telling the league, like, hey, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I need to do to help my team win. And, I mean, I feel like you're going to see a lot of these scenarios this year. It seems like they're just pouring gasoline on a fire here. Yeah, I definitely agree. And one thing that I think is very interesting to consider is Wilson Contreras is willing to pay any price to me that shows leadership. And to me, that shows the right attitude of being a team leader. And I think that it's going to make other pitchers feel more comfortable knowing that 
They won't have to be like, well, you want to use this timeout? No, like Wilson Gutierrez will go to you. However, the price that could be paid to, again, Adam's point, because we talked on Twitter earlier, and other people's points, is that that price could be ejections. So that could just cause more problems right there. That could change the dynamic of a ball game. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think... I will say I, I did see someone on Twitter earlier, uh, Michael Ernst, uh, a good follow if you're a baseball fan. Um, and it, his tweet was, I love Wilson Contreras, which is something I think we all can agree on. Uh, but every other catcher in the league is able to get through an inning of a tight playoff game without visiting the mound 10 times. And I think that that's a very fair assessment of Contreras. I think that at times, Last postseason, he looked overwhelmed. He looked mismatched. And I think he's got to improve his game calling in 2018 for the Cubs to get back to the World Series. And I think he's going to do it. I don't really have any worries about that. But I still, that's not the issue to me. To me, if catchers and if pitchers and catchers are crossed up or if mound visits need to be made, they should be made. I don't see an issue with it. I personally, when I'm whether I'm at the game or sitting at home, I use that to refill my beer, go to the bathroom, get food, whatever it is. I don't want to miss action. So if you're going to stick, you know, in the seventh inning, sneak a uh, two-minute mound visit in there, I'm fine with it. I don't see the issue. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of mound visits aren't really that long to begin with. Yeah, obviously some can get long, but I feel like a lot of them are pretty brief. So it, it never really bothered me. No, and me neither. I'm all about, you know, I look at things like, hey, I want my money's worth. I want to get to, you know, get to the ballpark. I don't care. Some of the best games I've ever been to, I went to the Javier Baez Mother's Day game uh, when he hit the walk-off in the 13th. Mm -hmm. Uh, The year prior, maybe two years prior, I took my mom to her first Cubs game, a Rizzo walk-off in 13. Those were two of the best games I've ever been to. Oh, man, that was so, so my growing up, my mom never had a lot of money. She could never afford to go to Cubs games. So I took her to one, and that was her first experience of Wrigley Field and the Cubs. And little did we know it would turn into what it is now, where the Cubs are, you know, quickly turning into America's team. Um, but I was so happy. That was how her first taste of Major League Baseball went. It was such an incredible game. Yeah, I because I remember they had a three nothing lead. And then Rondon came on for the save. He got like a bunch of pop-ups and grounders, but they all found holes causing the 13 innings. That was against the Marlins, I think. Yeah, I believe so. So I, I'm, that was pretty exciting. Um, you know, again, I just, I just don't, I don't see the issue. Rob Manfred, uh, you know, if you want to improve the popularity of baseball, learn to market your young players. Learn to turn them into assets. I mean, you have to be able to do that. That's that's what the NBA is starting to do really well now. You have kids running around wearing Steph Curry jerseys or LeBron James jerseys or Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, James Harden, all these guys. Kids want to be them. And you don't see that with baseball players like you did in the past. And it's because the league isn't doing their job when it comes to marketing these players. It's on the equipment companies and athletic conglomerates like Nike and Under Armour to do it. But no, the league has to step up and take the lead. If they want to drum up interest in young players here domestically in the United States, 
they have to do something about it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And to your point about the NBA, they do that as good as any other league right now. I mean, look at how much profits the NBA make from not a team, but a player. It's pretty amazing. It it really is. And I mean, you've got, you know, the value of franchises. The Bulls are awful. They haven't been good since Michael Jordan left. Not, not really, truly great. And they're, they're, I believe they're the top in the top four in terms of of franchise value. And, And, you know, Baseball baseball profits for organizations are at all-time highs. The net values are at all-time highs. So don't tell me the money's not there. Take some of this. Reinvest in your young talent. Take care of these guys. Help market them. Get their face. Get Mike Trout. Mike Trout, is, is he's going to go down as one of the top ten greatest players to ever play the game, ever, in the history of baseball. And there are so many kids growing up who never see Mike Trout in a commercial. They never see his picture. It's insane. It's insane that that there's this little awareness of some of these superstar players that are on the field right now. I know. That's definitely, definitely true. And I was talking about this the other day, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. A lot of the things going on in baseball, if you look at something that makes baseball look bad, Honestly, to me, like, I know this is going to be a little controversial, but it's the Florida teams. The way the Florida teams are selling off and they don't draw as it is, I mean, that right there is just, it's not a good look for the league. No, it's absolutely not. And I, all right, so I'm a big MLB Network radio guy. Casey Stern is one of my all, like, one of my favorite commentators in the game. It's good. Um, Jim Bowden. Yeah, Jim Bowden, I know he gets dumped on by everybody, but he had a really, really good point today. He's, he was talking about Tampa Bay, and obviously they made the move, unload Steven Souza, you know, in that trade, and, and they've, you know, they also traded Odorizzi to Minnesota. And, I mean, all kinds of talent shedding, if you will. The only two main pieces they kept are Kiermaier and Archer. And he had a point. If you're going to have a fire sale, do it the right way. Everyone wanted to rag on Florida or Miami, I guess now, on Miami for their fire sale. At least they went out there. They made it very clear what they were going to do this winter, and they went out and they did it, and it's done. Now spring training is, is underway. The players, are fo- the players that are there are focused on the task at hand, trying to be as competitive as possible. Meanwhile, in Tampa, you just took a key clubhouse guy and jettisoned him after earlier that day tweeting about how great it was that he was in camp. I mean, that's just going to flip that clubhouse on its head. It's, it's just, it's an embarrassment. It really is. The, the stadium situation, the quality of the product on the field. I, I, I honestly don't think it, it's feasible that Florida has more than one major league team moving forward. I really don't. I think once expansion talks start, it's time to consolidate those organizations and start looking elsewhere. Yeah, I agree 100%. And you know what? The Rays players that are still left have shown their frustration and let it be known that they are very unhappy with the way things are going, with the way that they traded away their top clubhouse guys and some of their best talent. You know what? Honestly, if I took over baseball, I'd say the Rays, we're going to build a nice, great stadium in Montreal 
because I'll tell you this, the fans will show up in Montreal if they have a new stadium in a good location. The reason why the Expos failed the first time, they played in the worst stadium in the entire universe, and it was in a bad location. I think you could change all that. It it can't be worse than Tampa Bay. And this is no offense to any diehard Rays fans out there. I have nothing against the organization, but you know what? You look at that stadium night in, night out when the Rays play, there's absolutely nobody there. It loses you money. It's not a good look for the league. And I think that when people look at baseball profits or however baseball is doing, they won't actually look at some of the numbers. They'll point at empty stadiums like in Florida and say, well, look, no one's going to the games. When you got to say, okay, that's Florida. There are plenty of other teams that are drawing well. Yeah, um, if you pull up attendance figures from last year, uh, Tampa Bay drew an average of 15,670 fans last year. The Cubs, meanwhile, clocked in sixth in baseball, 39,500. I mean, they And they, that's not they to account over... for the, the road attendance. Correct. So that was their home attendance on the road. Uh, the Cubs drew an average of 34-plus. Uh, it was best in baseball, 34,460, followed by the Dodgers at 33,579. And believe it or not, Pittsburgh at 32,633, which kind of surprised me, but no surprise to see Chicago and Los Angeles 1-2 on that list. Um, if you break down overall average, uh, the Dodgers were 1 and the Cubs were 2. So, it's just, you know, you have, to, you cannot, and, and I know that this was brought up with the Marlins earlier this offseason, was that Derek Jeter's projection increased this year. The Marlins ranked third from last last year in attendance, just over 20,000 fans a game. After what they did this offseason, regardless of whether or not it was fiscally necessary, do you really think the fans in South Beach are going to support that franchise? Absolutely no, not. There's no, not a chance. No, no, no. No, absolutely I mean, I, not. I think it would be a lot worse. I, I think they're going to draw less than 15000 a game this year. Yeah, unless you have a big-time team like the Cubs in town or I don't know who they're playing in interleague play, so I don't know if they're playing like the Red Sox or the Yankees or what, but if they play L.A., they play a lot of those fan bases that travel well. Those will be the fans in the stands. Yeah, and, and they should really be thanking their lucky stars that the Cubs are there for opening weekend. I mean, that's huge for them. Uh, they do have, like you mentioned, they do have some big games. Um, so right on the heels of the Cubs series, Boston is in town for two. Um, Colorado will be in town later that month. I mean, they're solid. The Dodgers, the Nationals are there in May, flipping over to June. It's nothing I would pay for. You've got the Padres, the Giants, the Diamondbacks, and the Mets. That's your home games for a month. And then you flip over Tampa Bay, Milwaukee, Philly, Atlanta, and then a four-game set with Washington, which could draw well. And then the Cardinals, the Mets, a two-game set with the Yankees, the Braves, the Blue Jays, the Phillies, the Reds. I mean, it's just there are good series in there, but it's not going to be enough to buoy your attendance numbers when you're getting just absolutely obliterated the rest of the year. Yeah, I just don't see it either. And if you think that's bad, I think Tampa Bay is going to be even worse. 
because unfortunately for Tampa Bay fans, that stadium is not only crappy, but it's also in a terrible location. It's, it's like the Expos. I think if the Rays had a better stadium in a better location, would their attendance be like Cubs level? No, God, no. But I think it would be better than it is now. Yeah, it definitely would. I think I think instead of focusing on pace of play and all these other issues that Rob Manfred believes are, are the present in today's game, fix the stadium situation in Tampa Bay. Fix the stadium situation in Oakland. Make those your priorities. If you're the commissioner that helps bring these two organizations, which perennially rank in the bottom five guaranteed in attendance, if you're the commissioner that helps remedy that, and keeps the team from being potentially eliminated. I mean, if Tampa Bay or, or, I mean, Tampa Bay is the logical one. Miami has a new stadium. They're not going anywhere. But if Tampa Bay, if the franchise dissolves, do you really want to be the commissioner that lost that organization? Or do you want to be the one that gave them a chance? I, I just, I feel like his legacy right now is completely tied up in pace of play. And that's all anyone will ever remember him for when we look back on his career. Yeah, unless he does something drastic like you said, I definitely agree. And yeah, I mean even even if you don't move the Rays, if you just get him in a better stadium in a better area in Tampa and you at least try to make that work, then you know what? We can still give you some credit for that because despite how good or bad a team draws, it's hard to move a team. It really is. There will always be people lobbying for them to stay. I mean, even if it's just a small group of people, there will always be those situations. Uh, But at least, at the very least, give them something better than that just awful, ugly, disgusting stadium they play in at Tropicana Field. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a huge issue in the game. And I I just, again, circling back to the the Cubs and, and what we have, I don't know about you, but I am so excited, so... Within the first 40 days of the season, I've got tickets for six games at Wrigley already. Uh, we're doing a buddy of mine and myself. We're doing April 13th and 14th. We're going to do Friday afternoon game, get a room at Hotel Zachary, hit the bars that night, go back again for the second game on Saturday and, and do that. And then obviously my birthday uh, in early May against Miami. Yeah, those are the, the, the big ones I'm looking forward to, but like, Wrigley Field is is it's so much nicer. It's so much nicer than what even you and I grew up with. It's it's a place you want to watch a ball game now. And I again, I know we've talked about it before, but I cannot give Tom Ricketts and Cubs ownership enough credit for the transparency and, and the quality of the work that they've done for the organization and for Wrigley Field. Yeah, I think they've made all the right decisions there. They've made all the right updates. They've done everything they can while keeping essentially the same ballpark there. And I think that it's amazing. Just look back three years, three, four years. There weren't video boards back then. The park at Wrigley didn't exist. The concourses were still the same. The outside of Wrigley Field was the McDonald's and the Cubby Bear and the store the 7-Eleven, and the Taco Bell. Now you're going to have a beautiful hotel, you're going to have a massive shopping center, and you're going to have those fast food joints inside those new places. The quality will be much, much, much better. And, you know, 
I think it's great that Wrigley Field got those video boards. I love the video boards because no matter what kind of nostalgic ballpark you play in, when you're playing baseball or any sport for that matter in the 21st century, you need a replay board. You just do. Yeah, and tying into what you said, just in terms of all the improvements, um, I was at opening day 2015. Um, The bathrooms on the upper deck ceased to function before that game. Oh, boy, I remember that. everywhere. There were people urinating onto the triangle lot now where the plaza sits off the upper deck. There were cups of urine and beer cups all over the place on the ramps going down to the concourse. I mean, the bleachers weren't even finished. They were covered with pictures of Cubs from yesteryear, Ernie Banks, etc. It was awful. It was awful. And as a fan, I looked past all that because John Lester was pitching against the Cardinals in his first start as a Cub. It was Joe Madden's debut as, as the Cubs manager. It was just the excitement of that, but God, Wrigley was a dump. I remember going to games before that with the netting under the upper deck to prevent concrete from falling on fans. I mean, it was, I mean, it had its charm, sure, but it was a dump. It, yeah, it really was. Um, in 2004, I was at the game against the, the uh, Oakland Athletics, and it was when I was a kid. And that was actually the game the concrete fell from the upper deck. And I didn't know about it until I saw it later that evening on the news. And it was right near the section we were sitting in. So that was kind of funny. And then the next year in 05, in the summer, we did one of those ballpark tours. And I remember seeing the visitors clubhouse and then the Cubs clubhouse. And then those old, old bleachers that were built in 1937 and the press box and just some of the behind the scenes stuff. Small, cramped, incredibly outdated, and pretty sure I saw a mouse scampering across the floor. So Ozzie Guillen is kind of right about the whole rats thing back then. Uh, not quite the size of pigs, as he said, but, you know, they were there. It's The improvements are so, so, so noticeable, and they really are nice. Yeah, they are. Um part of our, our guys weekend, if you will, in April, we're going to try and do a, a game day tour just because I did one about the same time you did um, back, you know, back in the day. And obviously as a kid, it's still super cool. And now I look back at it and I'm like, wow, like my high school locker room was three times that big. And I only went to a school with 500 kids. So, you know, what does that say about what we're asking the Chicago Cubs to try and be a champion, you know, with those types of facilities. But um, again, just to kind of put a bow on that, you know, Cubs have the best facilities in baseball now. They're one of the best run organizations in baseball now. And I, I really think that when you look at what's happening in Miami and what's happening in Tampa Bay, I think you're just really deeply appreciative of what we have here in Chicago now. Um, you know, speaking of what we have here in Chicago, obviously you Darvish, huge part of this off season. Uh, he's he's really been impressive, according to everything I've read from his teammates. You know, he's, his pitches have had a lot of movement. Everyone's really happy with him. Um, Wilson Contreras has been catching a lot of his bullpen. So I don't think you're going to see Chris uh, Jimenez catch him every day like you would, like you might have thought after the Cubs inked him to that deal. Uh, because I think Contreras is simply too valuable at this point. Um, 
And I, I would not be surprised if he settles in with Contreras that Victor Caratini t- then takes the backup catcher spot. Um, either way, I, I think Darvish and Contreras are going to be a great pairing. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I'm all for having a veteran on the squad in Jimenez. But yeah, it's going to be a battle because you want to get Caratini playing time too, because, you know, in order to develop him, he needs playing time. It's funny. The other day, I was actually trying to make my 25-man roster projection, and there were a few kind of areas I was on the fence of putting together. And basically, it was the bench. Because I'm like, okay, you got Jimenez, La Stella, Caratini. Does Peter Borges make the team? Because if Borges makes the team, then you can only hold so many pitchers. If Borges doesn't make the team you have a couple of options to put in there in the bullpen. So, you know, that's that's kind of the question I have right now. Other than that, most guys seem like they're going to be in their place. Yeah, it, it feels much, um, you know, much more solidified than, than in the last couple of years. I think you've got a pretty good idea who you're going to go into the season with, barring any, you know, spring surprises. Uh, Borges is the big question mark for me. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm very interested to see how the bullpen shakes out. Obviously, you've got your guys you know are going to make it. Steve Ciszek, Brandon Morrow, Carl Edwards, Pedro Strope, Justin Wilson, Mike Montgomery. I mean, all those guys you know they're going to be in. I'm, I'm interested to see guys like Rob Zestrisny, because uh, he's more of a long man. Um, I don't think Jen Hosang really has a chance at all. And Dylan Maples, um, you know, Justin Grimm, if he comes out and looks awful this spring, what do the Cubs do with him? Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. Um, I, I'm really intrigued to see how these guys look once once games get underway this weekend. I'm, I'm interested to you know listen to a lot of it as audio streams early in the spring, so I'm I'm very excited to listen to those and see what what those guys have to say about how the guys look and how they've been shaping up. But uh, you know, it feels pretty pretty solid right now and and again I I just I don't think Milwaukee and St. Louis has done enough to really be a threat and now we've got this rumor that Jake Arrieta and the Phillies are having dialogue and and Alex I just have to go ahead and pat us on the back because we've been saying it for five weeks now that Philly would make a lot of sense for Jake Arrieta and here they are having having dialogue but from what I read over at Bleacher Nation today Brett wrote up a really nice piece summing up some rumors, basically the Phillies want to do a two or three year deal with Arietta with a lucrative AAV. But I, I don't think that Scott Boris lets that happen. Yeah. Cause I saw John Heyman talk about it and said, they're definitely interested in each other, but the years are causing the big gap. And frankly, that doesn't surprise me. And I can't blame the Phillies for proposing that kind of deal because where he's at at his age and where he's going to be in a few years is questionable. So you think, okay, he's going to get paid. So you might as well just give him a bunch of money for a few years. I mean, that's that's kind of smart, in my opinion, to at least try that, even though you know Boris is going to really try to extend that out. I think that's a good way to try to approach this from a, uh, a starting standpoint. So, Philly, if, I, if I'm – Correct, and I, I could be mistaken, but I believe they have somewhere in the neighborhood of sixty to seventy million dollars on the books for this year. They obviously, being in such a large market, can go much higher than that. What would you think? So, if you're Scott Boris, 
You can put on your Scott Boris hat if you really want to put on such a thing. And you are representing Jake Arrieta. And the Phillies come to you with a deal. Say it's three years, $90 million with an opt-out after the first year. Do you take that? You started the year, or started the winter at least, asking for $200 million. Do you take three and 90 with an opt-out? Well, I mean, if I personally were his agent, looking at all the scenarios and looking at kind of the lack of interest because of that, getting $30 million a year, yeah, I'd do it. Do I think Scott Boris would settle for that? No, I think he'd try to stretch it out maybe five years. I mean, asking any more than five years, I'm sorry. Even for Boris, he has to realize how ridiculous that is with where he's at right now. Um, so... I don't see Boris taking it personally. I think it would be pretty fair because, yeah, you may not be getting a ton of years of control, but at least you're getting your player $30 million a year for a few years. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. Well, I think that what Arietta would bring to the Phillies is very similar to why the Padres ponied up all this money for Eric Hosmer. It's not necessarily for the results he's going to deliver on the field on a day in day out basis for the next eight years. It's that he knows how to win. He knows how to be a leader. Obviously he's much younger than Jake. He's only 28 years old, but they, I mean, the Padres brought in Eric Hosmer because they needed a guy that all of these young players could, could coalesce around. And I think that Philly has the same, the same problem. Their their oldest starting pitcher is 27 years old. None of them know how to win. None of them have one. And, and and there's so much to be said about having a guy who not only wants to win, but he's done it. He has the track record. He has a body of work that shows what he's capable of. On paper, I can't find a better fit going to Philly. Yeah, because the more and more I think about it, the more and more it makes sense in pretty much every point you made. I mean, really, the past few weeks, I thought of two possibilities. It was Philly or it was Washington. Now, Jake Arrieta, if he went to Washington, he would realize that his window would actually be to win in 2018. But with what's going to happen to Washington after 2018 with guys hitting the market, he'd probably realize that that would be his only shot, but it would be a closer shot as of right now than Philly, where if you went to Philly, you would have that leadership role. You'd be watching a young team come up and then maybe you see something good for the long haul. So two different scenarios right there. And, you know, I, I don't think the nationals are being overly aggressive right now while the Phillies are. So that's why I think Philly seems more likely here. It's just going to be a matter of what gets done. Yeah, and I, I still would not be shocked if, if, you know, given Boris's relationship with the Nats, that they swoop in and pick up Arianna. I wouldn't at all because, actually, for the same reason that you think that, that he might be swayed to Philly, I think Washington could look at Arietta and say, look, even if Harper leaves, even if Murphy leaves, I think that building a super rotation, if you will, with Scherzer, at the very least, say Gio Gonzalez leaves as well because this is the last year of his deal. If you're throwing a big three of Scherzer, Strasburg, Arietta, 
you're going to stand a chance in the NL East, at least in the short term. And you know they're not just going to lose Murphy and lose Harper and do nothing. They're going to make moves to replace those guys. So maybe that could help Washington prolong their window and keep it open if Harper leaves. Yeah, I mean, that's very possible. Uh, they, they'll they have to do some resigning, but it, it is possible. Um, it, I shouldn't say that the window would definitely close immediately after 2018. I just think that it's so uncertain after 2018, while 2018, you know what you're getting. Let's just say that. Oh, 100%. Washington is going to make the playoffs this year. I mean, that, that's pretty much as, as much of a sure thing as saying the Cubs are going to make the playoffs because I don't trust the Mets to stay healthy. The Braves are, are progressing. They're not there yet. The Phillies aren't there yet. And the Marlins are a steaming dumpster fire. So, I mean, the division's there. If you want it, go win it. It's that simple. Um, but you're right. After that long term, you, you do have to like Philly. But Washington, unlike the Cubs, Washington has, has managed to maintain a, a fairly solid farm system, headlined, obviously, by Victor Robles. Um, so they, they, might, they might surprise some folks long term. But, you know, you can't sleep on what Philly brings to the table, what Atlanta is doing down there. I think the NL East in the next five years is going to get really interesting again. Um, but it'll be interesting to see uh, if Jake Arrieta ends up out east or if he ends up sticking uh, with an NL Central, uh, NL Central team. But, um, Alex, we've got about 90 seconds or so left here uh, this week. Any thoughts as we head into the uh, spring opener on Friday? Well, I'm just ready to see everyone get to work and finally see some action here because even if it doesn't mean anything, it's still fun to watch. Absolutely. I know I've loved just looking at the guys on social media, photo shoots and photo day and um, obviously glove days going on uh, around baseball. And that's exciting. And uh, Kyle Schwarber, man, he looks good. Don't know if it'll translate into anything on the field, but at least at this point, Alex, he looks real good in terms of his, his physical shape. Absolutely. No doubt. So that will do it for us this week here uh, on Climbing the Ivy. Again, apologies for the top of the hour technical difficulties. Thank you for sticking with us. We will be back with you with recaps from the Cactus League next Wednesday at 9 p.m.